We've asked God to give us a language for this message, for the gospel of grace, for the finished work of the cross that's not confrontational, doesn't create division, but is invitational and creates a community. God is creating community. He's building a family. It's why he calls himself Father. And so uh, it's really a big deal that we catch catch the reality of what he's saying and doing in this day. Um, it's a reformation of sorts, but it's not a new thing. You understand that Paul was a grace preacher. He kind of thought a little bit about the grace of God. Matter of fact, Paul's overall obsession is being in Christ. It's the thing he mentions the most, more than anything else. John uh, understood this concept of our union with God in Christ. He, he catches on to what Jesus was talking about. John 17, 23, he says, Father, the glory that you've given me, I give to them that they may be what? One, just like we are one. I in you, you in me, I in them, perfected in unity. And here's the phrase to catch. That the world may know that you sent me. Every church is interested. Every denomination, organization is interested in this concept. That the world may know. And, and the way that we're about to bring about the, that the world may know oftentimes has very little to do with what Jesus said right before it. We really know that God wants the entire world to know. He said so in John 17. So we're going to come up with this idea. So we come up with all of our evangelistic ideas and completely ignore what Jesus prayed right before that. Father, this glory that's in me, I've given to them for this purpose that they would look just like us. I and you, you and me, I and them, perfected in unity. In that perfection and unity, now we are set up with this concept, that the world may know. I think the world doesn't know who they are because we don't yet know who we are. Once you figure out that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is your authentic identity, then you're positioned to awaken everybody around you to who they really are as well. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the finished work of the cross today in the Old Testament. The Lord is my, I shall not. He maketh me to, say it with me, lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth. Keep going. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Yeah, isn't that cool? It's awesome. We have a hard time memorizing a single verse. You guys just quoted an entire chapter. Well done. Here's the thing. Why is that so easy to memorize? I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I only ever heard that once as a kid in a Sunday school class, but for some reason it just sticks with me. Here's the deal. I think there's something of such eternal supernatural significance 
in that psalm, it's ingrained in your DNA from before the foundation of the world, that when you hear it just once, something's ignited in you and you never forget it. And I think there's a reason for that. We may not understand why it's such a popular psalm. Maybe it's just because it's poetic. No, I don't think so. It's way more than that. Let's just kind of walk through the journey. What if we just come out of Psalm 21? It's the story of the cross. It finishes up with this, it is finished declaration. But now what happens? David goes into this picture of this journey. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In that place where I'm surrendered to the leading of my shepherd, I recognize that I am complete and lacking in nothing. That's what he's saying. I have no lack. And now the walk begins. First part, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. It begins with rest. The walk of the finished work begins at rest. It's kind of like this. Bill, lie down in green pastures, please. Yeah, you don't understand how things work here, Jesus. See, I, I work, I want to work. I'm really wanting to get out and do something. See, in this culture, rest is the reward for my labor. I labor first, then I rest. No, no, that's not the way this works in the kingdom, Bill. Lie down. We can do this one of two ways. You can either voluntarily lie down, or I can make you lie down in green pastures, right? <laughs> David gets it. He understands. He's a workaholic, so he, he knows how this goes. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You begin the finished work from a position of rest. Your life in this is from a posture of rest. You understand rest is not a a, a pacifistic, apathetic posture. Rest is a complete reliance on just saying, God, I'm just going to rest in this place of relentless trust in who you say that I am, in who you believe me to be, knowing that it is not my effort that is accomplishing anything. It's fully my surrender to everything that you are and all that you are in me. I'm going to just go ahead and surrender to rest. I haven't done anything to earn it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and receive the reward as if I'd already done everything right. I get it. Grace. Wow. I surrender to just rest in the grace and the goodness of God. Lie down in green pastures. But there is a time to get up. So now he gets up, gets you up, and says, says, he leads me beside still waters. Now, Jesus has an interesting relationship with water. He does one of two things with it. He either walks on it or turns it to wine. Fascinating about that. <clears throat> but the thing is, is he is literal peace. He's the prince of peace, the manifestation of personification of peace. So everywhere he goes, he's in a sense releasing this, this ability for you and I to come into partnership with peace. Uh, that is to draw our focus in an attention on him, which is ultimately what produces peace within us. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. You actually have control over what you think about. Do you know that? That's why Philippians 4, Paul tells the church in Philippi, he says, hey, think on these things. Why? Because even in the context of the finished work, you get to choose what you think about. And what you think about actually matters which is why focused, intentional thought makes a difference. You can't change your heart. 
And God won't change your mind. But if you will change your mind, God will change your heart. You can't change your heart, and God won't change your mind. But if you will change your mind, God will change your heart. <clears throat> now, I get up, and I start to move. And what do I do? He leads me beside still waters. I believe it's the leading in that place of surrender that begins in rest that empowers us to walk in peace. What am I doing? I'm following him. That means I have to be focused on him. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. I'm not just focused on him. I'm reflecting what I'm beholding which means that now I'm shifting the atmosphere everywhere I go. So that which was formerly wind and waves all around me gets put at a place of stillness. The peace that's upon you because of your relationship, your focused intentional relationship with Christ, both head and heart, soul and spirit, actually gives you the ability to shift the atmosphere everywhere you go. You can walk into the most stressful situation and if the value that you carry for the peace and the presence of God upon you outweighs the sin in the room, the people that grieves his heart, all that stuff, listen, you walk in, there's no, there's no contest. You shift the atmosphere just because you stepped in the room knowing who you are and knowing who's leading you and knowing you're not alone, knowing you're one with peace himself. You could step into a hospital room where a person's received the worst report. They're in turmoil. They're fearing. They're all this stuff. And you just say, God, I just focused right now all of my affection on you. Whatever has your attention has your affection. It's simply just giving attention to his presence. It's simply, for some people, it's simply just closing your eyes, picturing him in front of you. Listen, he's everywhere, so if, if, if there's no place you can't find him, it's totally spiritually legal to imagine him with you, all right? So if you just have, to, just have to have a conversation with him, it's not distance and separation. It's just you saying, God, just let yourself manifest in a way where I can commune with you, where I can see you. Show yourself to me. Show me your glory. It's a legitimate question. It was asked in the Old Testament, and God expresses he wants to put on display in the new as well. He wants to put his glory, which is his goodness, on display in and through you. And so when you give attention to that, what ends up happening is whatever has your attention has your affection. Paul says in Corinthians, or Colossians, excuse me, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. So we have this, in a sense, uh, uh, an opportunity to be focused and intentional with what we think about which ultimately has the ability to produce all around us a peace that goes beyond understanding. In other words, you may not be able to give it language, but you step in the middle of stress, and stress just goes, and nobody can figure out what just happened in here. Somebody who has given attention, focused intentional thought to the presence of God in and upon them just walked into the room. He leads me beside still waters. He, next part, he restores my soul. Now, typically, the soul is defined as mind and will and emotions. It goes way, 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 way deeper than that. That's really a surface definition. But we're going to go ahead and just leave it sit there because we don't have the time today. Another sermon for another time. He restores my soul. What do we do? We begin at rest. We're walking in peace. And in that place now, my mind 
That is, my thoughts, my will, my emotional state of being is into a place of now restoration. Bless you. Great timing. People say amen in all kinds of amazing ways. I'm going to go ahead and take that as an amen. In Texas, they, they yell out, hey, you're cooking with gas now. They do that one. Or, or heard this one once. Shooting that brush pile again. I know he's in there because I can hear him growling. I don't even know what that means. It just, so whatever. <laughs> do you see a pattern emerging here? Just when I talk about the finished work of the cross in the Old Testament, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I don't know. Anybody see a pattern starting here? It's nothing that you're doing. It's everything he's doing, and he's inviting you to participate in his work. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. My mind, my will, and my emotions, my soul is brought into a place of restoration by what? Me? No, him. How did that happen? I begin at rest, and now I walk in peace. And in that place, my mind, my will, and my emotions are restored. My soul is restored. Next part, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the part we want to impress God. Oh, God, watch, look, look what I'm going to do. Look how righteous I can be. I've said this the past two nights. I've said this the past two nights, and you got to catch it. Righteousness and holiness is not the good ideas that you come up with to try to impress God. It's purely the byproduct of, of this. I began... Surrendered to the shepherd, I begin at rest. I walk in peace. I let him restore my mind, my will, and my emotions. And now righteousness becomes the byproduct of a surrendered life. Righteousness is just purely the byproduct of a life surrendered to rest, to walk in peace, to let him restore mind, will, and emotions. And now righteousness just becomes the natural overflow of this existence. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Next part. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait, whoa, Bill, whoa, time out. I didn't sign up for this thing to go through the valley of the shadow of death. I thought, I thought buying this insurance policy kept me out of that. This GPS is messed up because I'm going right through the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. The only reason that you get to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and many of you will visit many, many, many times, we all do, is to discover that death is nothing but a shadow. When you realize that, then you get to the last part of that section. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. See, my lifestyle of surrendered union to to. to begin and rest, walk in peace, let my soul be restored, righteousness being the byproduct of a surrendered life, that now has all prepared me to step into the valley of the shadow of death, which may be something you experience for yourself or you experience with somebody else. But even in the middle of the darkest valley, you can't be brought into partnership with a spirit of fear. Why? Because you've already be, had this lifestyle of surrendered to union. The one who is perfect love is united with you. And what does he do to fear? He casts it out. 
Perfect love casts out fear. So even in the middle of the darkest valley, I can't be brought into partnership with the spirit of fear. Why? Because I'm in union with perfect love. Death? Nothing but a shadow. It can't threaten who I really am. It can threaten my costume. It can threaten the role that I'm called to play in this temporal existence. But that's all it can do. It can't do anything to who I really am. It can't actually threaten me. Why? Because it's lost its thing. It's been completely defeated. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It's a shadow. This temporal world's passing away. The unseen world is eternal. The unseen world is more real than the, the one that we think is real. You just can't be threatened. I hope that's what you hear me saying because it's exactly what I'm saying. You literally cannot be threatened. Fear has no place in your life. It just doesn't. I know. It's so cool, isn't it? <laughs> Walk through the valley of shadow death. Not partner with fear. Why? Because I'm at one with perfect love. Next part. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but in my house, the rod and the staff did not comfort me. <laughs> my mom, um, <clears throat> my dad... You know, my dad threatened a lot, but he never did a whole lot. Um, but my mom was the chief disciplinarian. It was because she was faster than dad. She played the marimba. And uh, or she put like a mallet in between all of her fingers and play like, I mean, she was pro. She's unbelievable. Won tons of awards and competitions and stuff. She's an incredible marimba player. I'm like, anybody know a marimba player? There's not that many of them around, right? So anyhow, she was incredible at this thing. And because of that, her hands were quick and strong. And when she grabbed a wooden spoon, she was like a ninja. <laughs> to this day, if I happen to be at somebody's house and the lady of the house grabs a wooden spoon out of a canister, I twitch a little bit. I kind of flinch. She was just like, Amazing. So in my house, the wooden spoon, the rod and the staff, not a lot of comfort, right? <laughs> the rod and the staff of God are the judgments of God, and we're scared to death of judgment. I know a lot of people are like, wait, but God is judge. Well, read John 5.22 sometimes. Good one to read on your own, own time. A lot of people don't believe John 5.22, even though Jesus said it. Jesus says in John 5.22, the Father judges no one. It's in the red letters, New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 22. Underline it. Put a big old giant star by it. The Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son. So then the question comes in, to, Jesus, what are you going to do with me? Down around verse 45, 46, he says, Do not think I will accuse you before man. You have an accuser, Moses. In other words, you guys are living under the self-inflicted weight of your own condemnation. You guys are doing this to yourself. Father's not judging you, and I'm not standing in the position of the accuser. You guys are living under the weight of your own self-inflicted judgment. You're judging yourself, and you're judging each other. Stop attributing all this judgment to me. Now, does God judge? Sure he does. But here's the deal. The judgments of God are like his nature. He's for you, and he's not against you. Healing is the judgment of God against the injustice of infirmity that's attacking your body. 
That's what we went after today for our brother up here. We were asking God to release judgment upon that sickness that's attacking a child of the Father. Prosperity is the judgment of God against the injustice of poverty from a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you begin to understand that the judgments of God, like his nature and his character, are not against you, they're actually for you, then the rod and the staff in this culture of grace bring you tremendous comfort. Enemies coming to attack you, what does the rod and the staff do? Smack you? No. Bam, smacks the enemy. You don't even know what's going on. Why? Because dad's got a rod and a staff, and it's for you and not against you. That's why it brings you comfort. Your rod and your staff comfort me. He's absolutely for you, not against you. Next part, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whoa, Jesus, there's an enemy right there. Please protect me by building a wall. Why are you cooking dinner? That's not a political statement, all right? Just saying. You're supposed to create a barrier. But no, why are you making dinner? He's inviting us to a table because you and I are a living invitation to every person out there who doesn't know that they're made in the image and likeness of God to discover what the Father has always believed about them. Perhaps he invites you and your enemy to come to a table so that through you, his love can invite that enemy to become your brother. Two things you can do to an enemy. You can destroy an enemy, or you can turn your adversary into your advocate. And God is really interested in people awakening to their authentic identity who he believes them to be, because nobody can be your enemy without your permission. When the church stops giving people permission to be our enemies, then we'll start putting love on display like he's always intended. That's the beauty of the cross and the new covenant. It's why he prepares a table so you and I can actually sit down, break bread with somebody, and turn that enemy into your brother. (laughs) Next part, you anoint my head with oil. This is what we want to begin with. I want anointing. I'm not going to take a single step in this Christian life until I get anointed. I need impartation from everybody who's anybody who's ever written a book or done a podcast or spoken at a conference. That's fine. Let's go. That's good. But listen, this is the way that the thing works. You begin at rest. You walk in peace. Your mind, will, and emotions are restored. Righteousness becomes the byproduct of a surrendered life. In the valley of the shadow of death, you're not partnered with fear because you're one with love. The judgments of God are for you and not against you. Your enemies are becoming your friends. Now you're in position to realize how anointed you actually are as what? As a priest. When, when the priest would get anointed, they'd pour that oil over his head. That's what we got here. You anoint my head with oil. It would run down his beard, literally running down his garments. Now you, you begin to realize, I'm actually positioned to walk in my priestly call. So God's interested not just making you his sons and daughters. He's interested because he's very apostolic in nature. He's interested in turning you into fathers and mothers that put the father's heart on display. 
you anoint my head with oil. Next part, my cup runneth over. Now you have king and priest unto God. Priest, anoint my head with oil. Cup runneth over. That kind of provision that just was sort of this excess, passive income, can't believe where it's coming from. It's like coming like oil out of the ground. I don't know what's going on. In, in this culture, it was something that was available really only to somebody who could wear a crown. That would be a king. So what do you have? And you anoint my head with oil, my cup's, cup runneth over. Now you have that you begin to walk as a priest and a king unto God. It's divine anointing and divine provision. Tracy had a word uh, uh, this, this morning and during worship, and I told her, I said, when, when I talk about this part, I want you to release this word over people. Can you do this real quick? Well, last night and this morning during worship, I kept getting this sense that there were at least a couple people really struggling financially, um, maybe struggling with a lot of guilt and shame, and you feel locked in a box. You feel limited and locked in by your financial situation, and you can't see a way out. And I, I just felt like I wanted to give you a word of encouragement today. There's a verse in John 11. It's at the death of Lazarus. You know, Jesus was late in getting to this funeral, and they had wanted Jesus to come, you know, knowing that he could heal Lazarus, but Lazarus died. He shows up late and he tells Martha, you know, after he weeps with them, he weeps with them, but then he tells Martha, you know, roll away the stone. And she says, well, he's been dead, what, four days, four days. There's a stench, it's gonna stink, you know, but he tells him, open it. And in verse, yeah, John eleven forty, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I just want you to know you're not confined, you're not limited. He works outside of our boxes. And so just stretch and believe because your father wants to provide for you and he will take care of you. And so, and I, I also release to you blessing and prosperity. If what she's speaking to you speaks directly to where you are right now and you're saying, yeah, I need a financial breakthrough in my life, would you stand right where you are? Father, I thank you for every person here, and I thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives. And I've seen your hand rescue, and I've seen you turn things around. I've seen miracle after miracle, and I thank you for it. And because we are one, I release that to my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. And I speak hope to you in the name of Christ, that you will start looking at things and you'll say, Yes, I can. I can. It may not look like it now, but I can. And just to, yeah, Lord, just give them the strength to cut out the words of negativity and to begin believing for more. There is nothing beyond your reach. There's nothing beyond your reach because with God, all things are possible and he lives in you and he is for you. So I just release that blessing to you in Jesus' name. Awesome. Those of you who stood up, be looking for divine provision to come in and just flip your situation on its head. Uh, we'll finish it with this. It says, uh, um, the anoints my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy 
It's almost like angelic assignment that is following you all the days of your life, like the wake of a boat. Goodness and mercy so that you never walk alone will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A messianic uh, rabbi told me one time that's a really, really poor translation. It should actually say this, and I will be the dwelling place of the Lord forever which in the Old Testament would have made a lot of sense, but from the New Covenant perspective, we get that. We're the temple of God. He is in us, we in him. So so here's the way this starts. This is the journey of the finished work. Psalm 21, the finished work of the cross. Now the walk begins, but it starts in rest. I start in rest. I walk in peace. My mind, will, and emotions are restored by him. Righteousness becomes the byproduct of this surrendered life. In the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not partnered with fear because I'm one with perfect love. The judgments of God are for me and not against me, so I'm at comfort in my heart. My enemies are now becoming my friends. My adversaries are becoming my advocates. I walk in a priestly anointing, and I carry the provision of kingship, and I have goodness and mercy literally assigned to follow me all the days of my life. And in that lifestyle, I begin to realize I am the dwelling place of God forever. I really love this message. It's it's just one of my favorites of all time. And anytime I ever preached it, it just carried so much weight and so much strength to it. So I pray that today this message was just a, a, an infusion of hope into your heart. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 562 you can also listen again online at VanderbushMinistries.com or BillVanderbush.com. To support the broadcast or podcast or the ministry, go to VanderbushMinistries.com and click the Give button. You can also find that button at BillVanderbush.com as well. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.